Networks. We are working our way through the Bible, and we have been in Jeremiah. We're going to talk about Jeremiah, and next week, a little bit about Jeremiah and Lamentations put together. Uh, don't, don't be worried. It's not going to be that depressing, but we're going to get through it. Jeremiah. Now, if you've been reading it this week, you are excused for being a bit confused about some of the timing, and that is because Jeremiah was not written in chronological order, or if it was... That's not how we got it. There are a lot of theories about why it is so out of order, because this part will be a prophecy about something which took place already two chapters before, for example. The theories are several. One is that it was actually scattered and then regathered, and nobody reordered it after that. Another is that Jeremiah himself put it into topical order rather than chronological order. Regardless, it's a bit of confusion. So here's what we're going to do. Next, um, next couple of days, look for a special e-blast to come out saying, here's the order we think it was written in, chronologically, if you'd like to read it again and see if you get a different message out of it this time. That said, it's an interesting book. I remember I went to a little church, church probably 30, 40 people in West Virginia, asked me to come and speak to them about something. And before I got up, they sang songs, and one of the songs, it was the first time I'd ever heard it, was Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it just hit me hard, the words of that song. And they bracketed it with a song which is a response to God called I'll Never Forsake My Savior. And it's kind of, you know, you've always been faithful, we'll always be faithful. And they sang those two every night I was there that week as a way to testify to the faithfulness of God and how they would respond in return. Later on, within a year, that church would come under incredible hardship and fire. The minister became gravely ill. There were families that broke up in the little church. It was a difficult time, and I've never forgotten that they had prepared themselves, first of all, by their songs, ready to pick up a cross. We don't get that, actually, especially in, in America where things are, we'll yell, oh, it's really horrible here while we're overfed and have things we've not worn in six months. We, um, we don't realize what it meant when Jesus looked at his people and said, pick up your cross and follow me. That's, we don't get it. Because to us, crosses are pretty things you wear around your neck. They're even sparkly at times. And, and I'm not opposed to that, not at all. Good thing, keep it, keep it up. But just be aware that when Jesus said, pick up your cross, people shuddered, they were shocked. Many left him and would not walk with him anymore because it was the most horrible way possible to die. You pick up your electric chair and follow me. Pick up your dungeon and follow me. Pick up your torture chamber, follow me. That's what he was saying. Every so often I get people in my office and they'll say, oh, I sure wish I knew what God's will was for my life. And my response is always, why? Why would you want to know that? And I say it out loud, by the way. First of all, we already know more about what God wants us to do than we're doing. About giving to the poor, taking care of widows and orphans, about uh, going into all the world of the gospel of Christ, about loving our enemies, doing good to those who persecute us. We know all that stuff already. That should keep you busy. But instead, we're looking for this big thing we want God to tell us. 
oh, we want you to do this. Well, this is what my plan is for you. Um, Jeremiah got the call, and God came to him and said, here's what I've got for you. And Jeremiah went, I don't want it. I'm not interested. I like Jeremiah. Uh, Isaiah saw everything just going to hell, literally, all around him. And he said, here am I, send me. Jeremiah was going, whoo, you got the wrong house. I'm not the guy. I know about Jeremiah. I know what that feels like. Remember, we're not going through the Bible chronologically, so we need to do some grounding in history. And this won't hurt those of you that don't like history. This, This won't hurt at all. King Solomon married a bunch of women. And those women came from foreign countries that worship foreign gods, and they brought those gods with them. They influenced him, and they influenced the people of Israel. And Israel from that time on was never free of idols. Idols were all around. And by the time of the child king, and he was just a a little baby when he became king, Josiah, from that time, by the time we got there rather, God had been forgotten. People knew his name. And there was still a priesthood. I'm not really sure what they did, frankly, because the road from Anathoth, their village, to Jerusalem, just a few miles, but it was lined with shrines to other gods and sacrifice pits to other gods. And when you got to the temple, it was used as a storage warehouse full of all kinds of gods forgotten and still worship and junk and rubbish. Everything had fallen because Solomon had allowed it in. They had no idea how to worship. They had no idea who to worship. They practiced child sacrifice in Israel. There was a God that they made, this idol, that was hollow. And you'd start a fire on the inside of it and had these big hands out there. And you would lay your baby on the hands and it would burn up. And that was considered worship. This was in Jerusalem. This was around the people of God. How far can you fall? That's pretty far. You'll hear references in Scripture. You allow your children to be passed through the fire. That's what it means. Sacrificing of children. Josiah was a client king. What that meant was he couldn't make his own decisions because Assyria was in charge. And he had to pay a tax to Assyria. But Josiah got up to a certain age and decided Assyria is breaking up. And they were. They were having trouble. They were, they were having some internal events, and they were breaking up to the point where he said, I'm now independent, but he made a big mistake there. He said, I'm independent, but I'm going to get help from Egypt. God said, don't do that. But he still did. Josiah wasn't a bad guy, though. He wanted a series of reforms. He started cleaning out the old gods and the shrines. He did it carefully. He did it over a period of years. And during that cleanup, they found this strange book in the temple. And they couldn't identify, this is so weird, they couldn't identify what the book was. So they took it to the only priest they knew who might remember what this book was about. And it was a woman, a priest woman, who was able to look at the book and say, this is the book of God. This is Yahweh. This is the book of our God. We'd lost it. Nobody knows what's in it. But she was able to identify it. She was able to have it read and put back together. And around that time, God calls Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah comes from a family of priests, but like I said, you got to wonder what they were doing. They didn't even know who God was really at this stage. God comes to him and he goes, I don't want to do it. I don't want this. It's a cross. But God was not going to let Jeremiah say no to him. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, servant Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Stop right there. He doesn't say, I'll keep you from harm. He says, I'll rescue you. This isn't going to be easy, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out with his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, to build, and to plant. Let's keep that slide up there for a minute. Which one of these actions is popular among the rulers of nations and kingdoms? None of them. You're going to be very unpopular, Jeremiah. You're going to be very unpopular. Your job is to break things down. Jeremiah, you can move on now. If, if he accepted the call, was going to be placing his life in a blender. And that's the way I really look at Jeremiah's life. As when he said yes, he was stepping into the blender and a button was about to be pushed. Pain, loss, loneliness would be the defining characteristics of his life, his work. I will never forget. I will never forget it. We had a missionary from Scotland come over. We had just been in America at that time for, I don't know, maybe six months or so. So it was one of our friends came um, that we'd worked with in Scotland and he came and he talked about the difficulties of working in a, a nation, which if, you, if you're not in Britain, you don't know this, is actively hostile to religion. Every day, the newspapers, every day, the, the television, every, it's, it's actively hostile. When he was done about the, uh, speaking and such, between the break and such, there was a, a man who was the richest man in our congregation by quite a good measure, sitting on the pew just kind of looking at me. And I asked him how he was doing. And he looked at me and he said, this guy, oh, complaining and sad and things are rough. He must not be doing it right. And I said, excuse me. And he said, if you're serving the Lord, you're supposed to be happy. You know, it's only because my mama raised me right. I didn't kill him. I would have been happy to do so. But there was the wrong kind of happy. Some, I, I'm, I was never able to get through to him. Later on, his marriage would disintegrate, his life would disintegrate. And he never saw. It was because he had emotional blinders on. And he couldn't respect people who picked up a cross and had it hard. I don't know what your life is like, but I do know this. Everybody you meet today is having a bad day. At some level, they're having a hard time. Everybody. You don't know what their cross is, and your cross might be dealing with their cross today. That might be your cross. You hear the phone rings, you look down, and there you see the person, and you're going, do I answer that call? That might be your cross today. 
of course, not answering it might be theirs. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not God. What I'm saying is it can be very difficult. God gave him only the assurance that Jeremiah was going to be able to do what he was called to do. That's it. Didn't say you'd be successful. He just said, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Look at chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Get yourself ready. Stand up. Say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I'll terrify you before them. Is that the, by the way, is that the kind of call you want to get? You know, that's not a Hallmark card. <laughs> I don't think he bought that in the precious moment section of family bookstore. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What in that is positive? You want to know what the will of the Lord is? Sometimes that's it. Sometimes it is, you're going to throw yourself up against their wall. They're going to throw themselves up against you. You will not change them, but at least they will have had a chance. That's your opportunity. That's your call. Jeremiah was to call the nation to repentance. And if you read through the book, you know that there was a series, there were a series of things, there was a series of things, sorry. Breaking covenant with God, worshiping other gods, sacrificing their children, a big no to God, adultery, oppressing foreigners, strangers, oppressing widows and orphans, lying and slander, breaking the Sabbath, and pride and ingratitude. Just not being grateful. On my worst day, the worst day of my life, I was still more blessed than I had any reason to be. I was still more blessed than I had earned. I, I had not earned any of the blessings, but I still got them on the worst day of my life. The same with you. Gratitude. God's just asking for you to acknowledge it, to say thank you. It's not like you have to crawl before him, just respond to him and they weren't you know people always want to hear good news i I'll, i gotta tell you one of the times i was written up recently by brothers who are going to heaven and going to be quite surprised when they get there <laughs> said patrick and fourth avenue the only reason they hired patrick mead is they wanted a joel austin happy all the time preacher i'm going have you met me Mark even warned me today. He said, we're singing that song about, in moments like these, we sing out a love song to Jesus. I just want to prepare you. Because I'm famous for not, you know, I said, oh, can we do butterfly fingers? You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm famous for not being that way. Yes, you can fill up a place by yelling out good news all the time, but sometimes you don't have good news to offer. And Jeremiah wasn't allowed to give any good news. He had to, you had to tell them, invaders are at the gates. You're going to be destroyed soon. You're going to be facing plunder, starvation. And God said to Jeremiah, you're not even allowed to have fun personally. You're not allowed to get married. You're not allowed to have children. You're not allowed to go to a feast. You're not allowed to go to a party. You have to live your life as a defeated person in front of them to show them what's going to happen to them. Is this the calling you want? Understand something. God gives everybody a calling. 
He doesn't have to tell you what it is. He doesn't have to explain it to you. And you don't have to like it. But he gives everybody a calling. Don't worry about, well, what, I, I, if I don't know what it is, I don't know if I'll be doing it right. If you wake up every day, point toward Jesus, he'll take care of it. Don't worry about what it is. He'll do it. I see God a lot, very, very plainly in the rearview mirror. Do you know what I mean? I rarely see him on today's calendar, but I see him behind me. I go, oh, that's what that was all about. Had no idea. Paul, people say, well, why couldn't he even get married? You know, it could be because his life is going to be so miserable, he didn't want, God didn't want to make it more miserable by having Jeremiah worry about a wife and children, what they're going through. I can remember, I, there was a period in my life where I determined I have a certain facility with language that I was going to um, join a group back in the Iron Curtain days. You kids, look it up. Uh, Iron Curtain days, well, that they smuggled scriptures over into the Iron Curtain countries, and a lot of them would get imprisoned for a year or two at a time, and then they'd get ransomed or escape and get back over and then go back over. And it was a hard life, but that's what I was thinking. I think I'll do that. And then I met Cammy, and I didn't want to go to prison in Romania anymore. <laughs> it complicates life. It's a good complication, but it complicates life. Think of Paul. Paul said, I have the right to be married, but he didn't. It's no, by the way, it's not a higher calling to remain unmarried. Both of these men did it because, it, well, at least Jeremiah, because it would have made it hard on the family. Speaking of the persecutions that he suffered, his own family turned against him. The priestly family conspired to take his life. They paid people to beat him up, his own family, the priest. Pasher, a, a temple priest, sought out Jeremiah, had him beaten as well, and put into the stocks so he would be laughed at and abused up at the upper gate by the church entry. You might wonder why King Josiah, since he was interested in reforms and all and found the book of the law, didn't put a stop to this. And the simple answer is he was dead. In his 30s, he had made the wrong agreements with the wrong people, and now the big battle against Egypt was taking place on the field of Megiddo. And Egyptian archers found their mark, and Josiah was dead. Jehoahaz then became king, but if you don't know much about him, fair enough. He only reigned three months before the Egyptians said, can't trust you, took him captive and took him back to Egypt. They raised up a client king, Jehoiachin, that would now be, uh, Jehoiachin, sorry, that would now be their, um, their client king over Jerusalem. And what did he do? Immediately allowed pagan practices back in. Josiah's reforms, gone, just like that. He actively worked to bring the pagan worship back in. He wasted the kingdom's resources. He didn't have that much money, but he took it all and built it on a grand palace for himself. He relied upon Egypt. Egypt will take care of me. And then in 605 BC, the Babylonians came and defeated Egypt, and now he was in trouble. His protectors were gone. His money was gone, and his God was gone. And so Jeremiah warned the people, you're going to fall to the Babylonians. They're coming for you, and they will defeat you. In chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, the word of the Lord came to me again. 
what do you see? I see a pot that is boiling. I answered, it is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her all they will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. By the way, if you think none of this applies to us, we tend to worship what our hands have made as well. Our stuff, our time, our place. This is a terrifying time. He used the, Jeremiah used a, a, the boiling pot, but he also did figs. Here's ripe figs, and figs were very important back then. You couldn't just go buy sugar. So this was sweet. This was very special. This is wonderful. This is a treat. And the ripe figs, the good-tasting figs, God said, those are my people in exile already. People like Daniel, Ezekiel, already in exile when this was being done. This is being written. And then he says, here's the rotten figs. Those are the people that aren't in exile yet, but they're about to go. What was he saying? He was saying exile and de destruction of Jerusalem is not the end of God. It can be the end of what you've planned. But you can be faithful wherever God takes you. Doesn't matter where. Those of you that are graduating, <laughs> poor teenagers, everybody that meets you that's old like me, you know, kind of almost dirt, we look at you. And we'll say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like you know. Some of you think you know. And, and you might know. You might, you might have been born knowing. Fair enough. Most of us have, we had no plans to get where we ended up. It just happened. But we always say, you know, what's, what's your future going to be? And some of you might wonder, where does, does God want me to live here or want me to live there? Let me just take that pressure off of you. God probably doesn't have a preference. What he wants is for you to belong to him here or there, wherever you are. Whether you're an accountant or a lawyer, whether you're a plumber, whether you work on sewers or whether you deliver babies, all God is asking is that you belong to him while you do it. Then you're the right figs. You're his treasure. But the people would not listen. So... Jeremiah put on a yoke. He was big into sermon illustrations and props. So he put on a yoke to show the people, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be yoked, and yokes made you look like you're on a cross. But a priest saw him, didn't like the message, took the yoke off and broke it. So Jeremiah finally got an audience with the king to read him his prophecies. I want you to see this picture. King's there, doesn't want to be there. Every time he reads a page and hands it over to the king, king just takes it bored and throws it into a fire. And Jeremiah continues, doesn't quit, reads him the entire prophecy, and every time, king just tosses it in the fire. Utter disdain for the word of God. Utter disdain for the prophecy of God. Now, by the way, Jeremiah's got to write it all again. And there are those that say that's why it's out of order is because it was done piecemeal as he was on the run, but we don't really know. King Zedekiah was now the king. 
And his advisors came to him saying, you got to do something about Jeremiah. He's bringing down the morale. He's talking to the soldiers saying, why bother? It's all going to fall apart. You've got to do something. Now, Zedekiah said, well, we can't kill a prophet just in case his God uh, likes us. So we're not going to kill him. What we're going to do, and I'm not going to do it, but if somebody does it, it's fair enough. You can just put him somewhere where he will die, naturally. So a bunch of guys threw him into a cistern, a deep, muddy pit, where he sank up into the mud and left him. That was Jeremiah's calling. Their idea was, he'll die, but that way we didn't kill him, just happened. Because eventually, he dies. But he didn't die. A black man, or perhaps an Arab from Yemen, it's hard to know exactly what the name, the word there means, most likely means from the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, that area, came and got a group and saw that Jeremiah was in the pit. And they had to rig something to pull him out because he was stuck and he was old. And so when they put ropes under it, it made him sore and hurt. This is God's only friend in Jerusalem. And look at the life he's got. I want you to understand something. The health and wealth gospel is a lie directly from the lips of Satan. The idea that if you serve God, your bank account's going to be fat, your marriage is going to be great, and all your teeth will be straight is a lie. Sometimes when all hell breaks loose, it's because you're doing the right thing. And Jeremiah was God's friend. They pull him out. I find it fascinating. The only people good to Jeremiah, other than Baruch, who was his, his friend and secretary, the only people good to him were the Cushites and the Babylonians, the outsiders. There's another lesson. Sometimes it will seem like the worst people to you are your sisters and brothers in Christ. And that the people that are nice aren't the church people. Get used to it. When Jesus went to church in Mark chapter 1, there was a guy with, waiting on him who had a demon in him. Demons go to church. I'm doing a wedding today. Um, and we had the, the practice here. We're doing the wedding elsewhere. You don't have a central aisle. I'm going to bring a chainsaw one of these. Days. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Uh, but, or a trolley. I'm not really sure. A zip line. But somehow, well, they, they got a guitarist to come in. He's an excellent guitarist and a very fascinating guy. I enjoyed it. But he, he looked around and he goes, you know, honestly, I've never really been to church. And I said, Really? And we talked for a while, and he said, well, just to be honest with you, I've always thought, kind of had the thought of going to church as being kind of icky. Now, I, really res I respected that honesty rather than, yeah, well, I'll be there Sunday. I respected it, and I can, I can relate to that. And we talked, and he goes, it just seems that a lot of the people I meet that say they're Christian, he just shook his head. Been there? Most of us have. We're supposed to give God a better reputation than that. Jeremiah, the people that were nicest to him were the people that didn't know God. We need to understand that and not be surprised when it happens. But instead be, all right, our response isn't going to be to run from God, but rather to stand up for him, answer for him, and build a better reputation for him. 
suffering of Jeremiah, why did he go through it all? It was because he, he said yes to God. Saying yes to God can make it tough. He took up the cross. You know, it didn't have to be that way. Had others listened to him and responded to him, God would have turned away the judgment. Take a look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I'll forgive this city. Wow. Wow. You would think you could find one. It's Jerusalem. It's not Washington, D.C. You think you have a shot. I said that out loud, didn't I, sweetie? Sorry. Um, God would have saved them. It's echoes of Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't it? If I could have found 10, I, I, I would have saved it. Through all of this, God was not going to forsake his people. There are streams of hope here. One story will have to suffice as we draw this to a close for today. A very strange message, message came to Jeremiah as Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian shock troops were approaching the city. Chapter 32. We're going to read, it's quite a lot of verses here. This is the word that came to Jeremiah. Understand again, the people can see the dust in the distance from tens and twenty scores of thousands of shock troops of the world's greatest empire marching toward them. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined. He was locked up again in the courtyard of the guard of the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, who had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will be certainly given into the hands of the king of Babylon and will speak to him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hamnael, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth. Because his nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hananel had come to me in the courtyard and uh, the guard and said, now think, I want you to think, what a weird response. He's saying, now, I, I'm in prison and here comes my cousin and says, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin since it's your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth for my cousin Hananel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. We're, hold right there. You're good, right where you are. Uh, you, can, you can bring it back to, to verse 10 and such. Do you get the picture? He's in prison, and a whole land is being lost, and a guy runs to him and says, um, would you like to buy my property, which has been, been seized by Babylon? before we're taken away from it, never to return. And Jeremiah does. I signed it, sealed the deed, had it witnessed, had it witnessed, you had two witnesses, and weighed out the silver on the scale. 
I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions as well as the unsealed copy. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will, be, will again be brought in this land. What's going on? Even as the troops arrive, Jeremiah is saying, God will return. And when he does, that'll be my land. Jeremiah won't live to see it, but that's not the point. It's rather like Abraham buying the cave of Machpelah. Do you remember that? Why? To bury his wife. But God says, I'm going to give you the land. Yes, but he needs a place to bury his wife, and he doesn't own it now, but he believes in God later will redeem the land. I'll buy it now. Jeremiah did the same thing. I love that about Jeremiah. He believed that God would eventually come back and, do, and bring joy back to the land, and he did through Jesus. He was going to leave a legacy of faith. I'm about to wrap this up, Mark, if you want to come on in. I want, to, I want you to remember something and remember this very carefully. Jeremiah is thrown into a pit. Jeremiah was locked away. Jeremiah, sometimes we think we're buried when we're really planted. Sometimes we think we're buried. It's over. No, no, no. You're planted so that your faith can sprout later. There are people in this church that have upped their giving so that you can have more ministers. Why? They're planting for the future. They believe in you and God in the future. And they won't live to see it, but we believe it. Remember this. When the worst that could possibly happen happens, God is greater and can bring life back up out of the ground. Would you stand with me, please? Jesus once asked his followers, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Our answer must be yes. If I am alive, yes. As much as it depends upon me, yes. Even if I carry a cross, yes. Have you ever heard the song, Nearer My God to Thee? I have a hard time singing one of those verses because it says, Nearer my God to thee, e'en though it be a cross that raises me. But then again, I'm more like Jeremiah than Isaiah. I want to be more like the apostles who when they saw Jesus head toward Jerusalem and they thought that means he's going to die, they stood and said, then let us go die with him. Because when they buried Jesus, all they did was plant the kingdom of God. If as long as we live, say yes to the cross and believe in our God. Let's sing.